Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 34, here we go. Uh, give me the context of Psalm 34. David has, you say, well, I thought we were getting away from David. We just finished second, first and second Samuel last week, but I can't quite get away from it because I want David's the author of this psalm. In first Samuel 21, the context is, we've already covered this, so it'll, it'll be easy for you. He's been pursued by Saul and Saul's entourage. And he's been pursued so heavily that he's fled to the Philistine territory in the city uh, of uh, Gath. And so he is on the run. Saul is threatening his life, and he goes to uh, this Philistine city. And when the king of, of the Philistines, Achish, he learns of David's identity, of course, he sees them. Now, David attempted to live in that city without revealing his identity, but, of course, that didn't that, that was not the case. He was, um, he was discovered. He was put under house arrest. And David began to ponder his situation. He realized he was in grave danger. After all, the Philistines and the Israelites were at war with one another. And not just that, but David had put to death the, the hero of the Philistines, Goliath. And not only that, to make matters even worse, guess who had Goliath's sword strapped to his side? Yes, of course, King David, right? So he has his sword strapped to his side, and he is in this Philistine city. The, the king arrests him. David thinks, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my life. Not by Saul, but by this Philistine king. And things aren't looking good for David. So it's not without reason that we are told in 1 Samuel 21 verse 12, it says, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. Now, what did David do? Riley, well, he did what any uh, 
normal person would do. He acted insane, right? He acted like he was sane, and he began to, to ride on the gates of the city, and he began to, to, to drool on, into his beard, and, and it worked. The crazy thing is it worked. Achish fell for the stunt, and he sarcastically asked his men, do I, look, do, do I like madmen that you brought me this one into my presence? And so by David's uh, trickery, he was able to escape. He was expelled from the city of Gath, and he fled. And now he's in the cave of Adullam, and this is probably where he uh, penned this song. But what David has done is he's looked back upon these events, and he's come to understand that he acted out of fear of man. He's, he's, he was fearful. He didn't trust the Lord. And he's humble before the Lord. And what he did is he wrote Psalm 56. It's a, it's a, these psalms go together. Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. So he, he writes Psalm 56 as a confession and a vowed trust to the Lord. And finally he writes Psalm 34. He wrote this to praise God for his deliverance and to teach us, to teach the Israelites what it means to fear the Lord. So that's where we are. It's an acrostic poem. There's nine acrostic poems in the Psalter which means the Hebrew alphabet, they take one the, the letter from the Hebrew alphabet and they write a, a verse beginning with that letter. And so um, this is one of those. So anyway, Psalm 34, Jake read that. You did a great job reading that, Jake. I appreciate it. He read that for us. And so I'm just going to point out a few things that we can learn from this text. Firstly, in verses 1 through 3, is we're to praise without ceasing. Now you hear, you, you, if I said do something without ceasing, you would think of what? Praying, yeah, because 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, a lot of us know that verse, uh, pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we, that we have this physical posture of we're kneeling down with eyes closed in prayer? Well, no, not necessarily. In fact, it doesn't mean that because it says prayer without ceasing. You can't do that without ceasing, right? But what does it mean? It means that we're to spend our, our days in an attitude of prayer, Right? in an attitude of prayer. We can't uh, drive down the road with your eyes closed, but you can drive down the road in an attitude of prayer. No, we draw near to the Lord all throughout the day. It's this posture of where we're coming to the Lord regularly, okay? And so what David is saying is the same should be true of our attitude of praise. It should be our attitude. It should be our posture all throughout the day as we're praying, we're praising the Lord. He invites the reader, the Israelites. He invites you. He invites myself to lift up praises to the Lord. Now, he's in a cave hiding, right, from Saul. But the psalm tells us that his heart was hiding in the Lord. Verse 2, David doesn't dwell on his experience or even on his deliverance, but on his deliverer. What does he say? He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Are we ever more like the Lord? Or are we ever more in God's will than when we're telling God how good he is? And that's what it means to praise. I remember the years, years ago, Taylor Brewer sits here. I was asking, I was a youth pastor here and we were having a Bible study and I was asking about praise. What does it mean to praise the Lord? And he mentioned this. This is, uh, I don't know how long, two decades ago. He says, praise is just telling the Lord how good he is. And I thought, wow, that stuck with me all these years. 
Um, it is. It's telling God how good He is. Are we ever more like the Lord when we're telling the Lord how good He is? So here we have Israel's worship leader, right? This great psalmist invites the reader to praise the Lord with them. So we should live our lives in, in an attitude of not just prayer, but an attitude of praise. The second thing we see in verse 4 through 7, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redeemed of the Lord have a story to tell, right? Well, let's share our story. Verse 4 through 7, here's a testimony of David, what the Lord has done for him. I sought the Lord and he did what? He answered me and delivered me, right? Verse 6, this poor man, speaking of himself, cried and the Lord heard him and saved him, right? Yeah, there's a testimony. David was in in need, and the Lord responded by hearing him, saving him, and delivering him. He's been saved, and David is telling his story. So what we're going to do, we're going to do something a little bit different. Anybody have like a, in 30 seconds, can you, you got a story to tell? Anybody? 30 seconds. You got 30 seconds to tell your story. What the Lord, you're redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redeemed, we have, we're, if you're redeemed, you should have a story. Anybody have a story they'd like to tell in 30 seconds? Anybody? Okay. Awesome. Amen. Anybody else? Chris, tell us your story. Chris, I was saved when I was nine. Um, more since I got saved before I saved. The Lord is faithful and showed me my sin. And there been times when uh, the path ahead was difficult to see. But because of His goodness and what I know from Scripture about Him, I know once we get past it, we'll look back and see where He's been faithful. Good. When we sing the song, how I proved him over and over, over and over. Yeah. Is that I'm continually unfaithful. And the proof is that he's continually faithful because he's continually proving himself over and over. Yeah, good. Chris, you got one? No, I didn't know if you were talking to me. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want to share? I, actually, my salvation experience came through unforgiveness. I had unforgiveness in my life, and the Lord revealed to me that. Uh, Awesome. Yeah, the Lord changed your life, didn't he? Anybody else? 30 seconds. Anybody else? Share your story. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? 17 years old, driving down Beaver Road, right there by Bobby and Pam Owen's house. And I remember thinking to myself, there's got to be more life than what I have. And for a lot of folks, that'd be a big deal. But for me, I had everything a kid could want. So it got me thinking about, what in the world? What's wrong with me? Why am I not satisfied? Hearing evangelistic preaching and reading through the Scriptures, I realized I was lost. I was condemned. I was going to hell. Struggled with that for months, two or three months, just fighting against the Lord. Finally, on November 25th, 1990, God granted me faith and repentance. I trust the Lord. He changed me like Saul on the road to Damascus, never to be the same. I know I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm bought with a price. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing my inheritance. What a, what a joy. He touched me as He touched you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Because of David's testimony, his experience, he can say verse 8 through 10. Look at verse 8 through 10. Because the Lord had, had, had rescued him and delivered him, he can say, say in verse 8, Oh, taste and see 
The Lord is good. Not taste and see if the Lord is good, but taste that He is good. And many of you here in this room, you can say, oh man, taste and see the Lord is good. I've tasted it. And there's nothing like knowing the Lord. Nothing like being saved by our Redeemer. The third point is similar to the second. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, verse 2. David says, I found God to be good. He delivered me from all my fears and all my enemies and provided for me. I want you to experience his provision as I have, right? We have um, live on the end of Candy Lane. Brother Ronald and Miss Cindy, they're in front of us on Candy Lane. I'm back, back behind them on Hazel Grove. But I live on a hill, and there's a little valley down through there, and, and we just have the most beautiful sunsets. And I'm not a very romantic person. Jenny will probably tell you that, but I do love sunsets. And what happens when I see a beautiful sunset? What's incredible about the sunsets when the sun is setting there and there, the, the, the sky is just full of color, pink and purple and orange, and it's all just mixed together. And when I see this beautiful sunset, what do you think I do? In my house, I, I go get Jenny and the kids. And I don't care what they're doing. Stop what you're doing and come look. Because in a minute, two minutes time, you know what happens to a sunset? It changes, right? So you only have a moment. You've got to catch it just the right time, right? And so I, I make them come out. Hey, come out and look. You know, and they're in the room doing whatever they're doing, doing this, right? Whatever. No, come out and look. Just come out and look at it for a second just so you, you can see it. And why is that? Why do I want them to come and see? Because it's so beautiful. I want them to see it too, right? I mean, think about it. If you're on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you have somebody walk up next to you and you're out looking at the Grand Canyon, what do you do? Oftentimes they, you don't even know the person, right? You're like, wow, isn't this incredible? And then you say something like that, wow. Or how many of you taste something that's, that's really good? You taste something, you eat something, and you, just, you think it's so wonderful. What do you do? Yeah, you tell somebody, hey, man, I ate this. Man, you got to try that. You don't say, hey, man, this is so incredibly delicious, and you should never eat it ever. No, you don't say that. You say, oh, this, is, this pecan pie is awesome. This chocolate um, cobbler that Kim Glass made is incredible. Hey, you need to try some of this. It's so good because I enjoy it. I want those that I love and care about, I want them to enjoy it too, right? Yeah, that's what David's saying. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He experienced this redemption from the Lord. He, he experienced salvation from the Lord, grace from God. And he says, oh, man, I want you to experience it as well. And David says, don't just look on wishing that my blessings were yours. No, taste the Lord's goodness yourself. Prove in your own experience that the Lord saves all that take refuge in Him. There was an atheist. He didn't believe in the Lord and scoffed at the idea of salvation through faith alone. And he was lecturing a group of people on the unreasonableness of salvation. And then he invited anyone with a question to come to the platform and they could ask a question. This, this atheist who was a very learned man, immediately a man jumped up uh, who, this man before his conversion, he was a notorious drunkard in his town. So he stepped up to the, to the mic, but he didn't ask a question. He just coolly, out of his pocket, he pulled out an orange and he began to peel it real slowly. 
and then began to eat it, slice by slice. And the exasperated atheist yelled at him, said, Hey man, stop your foolishness and tell me what your question is. Well, the man never moved. He just kept eating his orange. And then he looked straight at the atheist's eye and he says, Tell me, was this orange sweet or was this orange sour? Of course, the atheist says, Man, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? I didn't taste it. The former drunkard said, Well, stop criticizing the gospel until you too have tasted it. I have tasted it, and I know that it is the power of God which is able to transform a hell-bound drunkard into a, a saint. And then he pointed out to the townspeople, and he said, And those people out here, they can testify as to its power and how it changed my life. Don't fall with something that you've never tasted. And he says, meet and adjourn. And everybody left. See, an atheist, they, they cannot find God for the same reason that a, a thief cannot find a policeman. They don't want to, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hey, have you tasted? Have you tasted it? Have you experienced the, the goodness of God? I mean, we're singing these songs. Man, we've been singing some good music. He touched me. Man, could you sing that song? Did it resonate with your soul? Did it resonate with you if you're just singing, He touched me? No, He touched me. Yeah, He did, right? He touched me, and He made me whole. Not because, of he, not because we're good, but He touched me because He's gracious to us. Yeah. Have you experienced the grace of God as He touched you? Fourthly, Verse 11 through 14, we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's Psalm, or Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. David tells us that he's fearful in verse 4, beginning of this psalm. He was fearful for his life, right? When he was in Gath and he thought he was going to be killed, he was, he was afraid. And we can understand how that would be the case. There, there are fears, and they're, they're healthy fears, aren't they? Being fearful of a mean dog, your neighbor has a mean dog. You teach your children, yeah, that dog will bite you. Stay away from that dog. That's healthy, isn't it? There's healthy fears. Keeps, maybe keep you or your children from being bitten. What about having a healthy fear of contagious disease? That's good for us too, isn't it? Kind of timely. Yeah, we, we ought, to be, ought to have a healthy fear of getting sick. What does that do? That motivates us, right? Stay away from those who are contagious. Motivates us to be careful where we put our hands. I tell my kids all the time, keep your hands at your face, right? Don't touch your nose, your, your eyes, and your mouth. Yeah, it motivates us to wash our hands a lot, doesn't it? Or to use hand sanitizer a lot. Yeah, it should have. It's a healthy fear, right? Carly, when she was young, I don't know, six or seven years old maybe, maybe younger than that, but she came into our flat in, in China, and she had a, Something in her hand. I'm like, what do you what do you have? She goes, it's a little snake. No, I think she said it was a worm, but it was like a about a 10, 11 inch snake. And she was holding it, and it was like the coolest snake I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, man, I've never seen anything like that. It's all colorful. Now here, you know, we have certain kinds of snakes you can kind of identify, but we're in China. I have no idea, right? We're in the middle of a city, 800,000 people. We're in a high rise um, uh, apartment complex. We live on the 18th floor, and there's a thousand families in our apartment complex. Uh, a lot of people there, and it's just concrete everywhere. So you just don't see snakes, you know, very often. See a lot of rats and mice, but you don't see very many snakes. But she's holding this snake, and it's like, wow, that's kind of interesting. 
And then we showed it to some of our neighbors, and they flipped smooth out. They're like, get away, that snake is poisonous. Well, Carly didn't know. She just saw it was colorful, and she didn't have a, a, a healthy fear. And so she's coddling and holding this poisonous snake. Well, we put the snake down. Um, <laughs> literally. Um, but she didn't have a healthy fear. So fears are, are good. They're healthy, right? And then there's, there's, there's healthy fears, and then there's unhealthy fears. And that's the unhealthy fears is what David spoke about in verse 4, where he said, uh, he delivered me from all my fears. There are some fears that are unhealthy. There are fears like the fear of failure, a fear of rejection, right? That's why we don't share the gospel, right? Because we're fear, fearful somebody's going to say something and they're not going to receive what we say. Fear of not measuring up, fear of not being loved, right? Fear of pain, fear of loss. They're unhealthy fears, right? And even with this thing that's going on in our, in our world, we can have an unhealthy fear about that as well, right? Yeah, we're redeemed people. We're, we love the Lord. This is not our home, you know? The Lord sees fit to take us. We're going to be in glory, which is not going to be a, a, all that bad of a place, uh, I don't know about your neighborhood. It's going to be better than wherever you're living, even though I don't know where you're living. Um, so, but our, our hope is in what's to come, right? So there's there healthy and unhealthy fears. But David talking here about unhealthy fears. Verse 11 through 14 provides instruction on what fearing the Lord looks like. He talks about a healthy fear. Fearing the Lord, Reese, we should fear the Lord. What does that look like? I'm going to read this to you. Ed Hartman, he's at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Uh, he says this. He's talking to his children about fearing the Lord. And he uses the word woe, W-O-E, and wow, W-O-W. And he says, and the tension between these two words defines what the fear of the Lord really is. He said it's the... W-O-E, the woe is me. That's Isaiah. You know the passage, Isaiah chapter 6, right? He sees the glory of the Lord, and what does he say? I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And this is Isaiah. That's how he makes his living, right? He's a preacher. He's a prophet. But he says, my lips, even my lips, the best I have to offer are unclean. Woe is me. That understanding that we're sinners, and we deserve God's wrath, right? That's the woe part. And then once you've been forgiven... Your next response is, wow, wow, you would actually forgive me. And you would actually not only forgive me and, and make me presentable to you, but you would actually use me in your kingdom's work. Wow, he loves me. Wow, he accepts me. Wow. This gets to the heart of what it means to fear the Lord. And what do those who fear the Lord do? Look at verse 11 through 14. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 13 and 14. Someone who fears the Lord, what do they do? They obey, don't they? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. John 14, 15. says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, if you fear the Lord, you're going to obey the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Your body, I mean, your, your, your body of work, your, your 
actions, your attitude should portray that, yeah, you're, you fear the Lord, you obey, you do what the Lord wants you to do. Do you fear the Lord? Have you experienced the woe and the wow? Whoa, I'm a sinner and I deserve His worst. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, He died on a cross for me. He paid my sin debt. He was separated from the Father so I wouldn't have to be. And He suffered a terrible death for me. He was buried and He rose on the third day so I could be justified. And have you experienced that wow where you say, wow, I really am forgiven. I really am made clean. I really am washed whiter than snow. Hope so. I hope that is the case. Verse 15 through 22, this last section, is, is really a review of what's been taught already. Let's read through some of this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The last thing that we see in this section, I, I think, is in spite of God's favor, the righteous nevertheless do frequently suffer in this life. Because it talks about the trouble, right? The Lord is attentive to our cry, but the reality is that sometimes we have to cry out to the Lord because we have trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The truth of the matter is, people, we're going to be brokenhearted in this life, even as believers. But I'm a believer and I want things to go well. Well, of course you do. And ultimately, they're going to go well. When you breathe your last, you're going to be in glory. The work that He is has started, he's going to finish, and you're going to be like Jesus. But we have trouble, don't we? We are crushed in spirit, right? Sometimes. David has suffered, and you know what? From this point on, David's continue, going to continue to suffer. Has a, a difficult life. P.C. Craigie, he says this, the fear of the Lord is indeed the foundation of life, the key to joy in life and long and happy days. But it is not a guarantee that life will always be easy. It may mend the broken heart, but it does not prevent the heart from being broken. Hear that? It may restore the spiritually crushed, but it does not crush the forces that may create oppression. We go through difficult times. Some of you are going through difficult times. Maybe it's a, a battle with sin. Maybe it's a, a struggle in a relationship. We struggle, we suffer, and we go through difficult times. We know ultimately we'll be healed, won't we? We'll be restored. Ultimately, our hope is that one day we'll be with the Lord. These last couple of verses, verse 21 through 22. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. 
we've been talking mainly towards believers, and I'm asking these probing questions, you know, if you've experienced these things or not. But these last two verses speak of redemption and deliverance from God's final judgment, doesn't it? I mean, the ultimate experience of God's blessing and salvation is not in this life, but in the life to come. But these verses make it real obvious what the Bible clearly teaches throughout its pages, that there's a great divide between those who God redeems and those who He condemns. It's true, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. But it's also true that God will crush the rebellious. God will crush the sinner. God will crush the wicked. By way of application today, let me ask you this. Has God been near to you? Are you the brokenhearted? Have you cried out to the Lord for help, for deliverance, for salvation, for forgiveness? If not, the Lord will one day will crush you. He'll pour out His wrath upon you and that will be right and just and good because that's what we all deserve. So I want to encourage you by way of application to repent and trust Christ today. If there's a question about that you don't understand or you don't know how to do that, I would love to talk to you about that. For us as a church, a couple things by way of application are, are you a, a praising person? Are we a praising church? We need to be a people of praise. We need to be praising the Lord for what He's done and who He is. The second thing is, church, we need to share our story. David, he shares his story. This is what the Lord has done for me. When's the last time you shared your story? Again, you don't taste something wonderful and not tell somebody else to try it. The Lord has been good to you. Someone needs to know that. We need to be a people who fear the Lord. Those who fear Him, obey Him. Keep that tension of the woe is me and, and then wow, God has forgiven me, right? That tension there, I like that. We need to, peop we need to be a people who fear the Lord and obey Him. And lastly, we, we have to understand that we have trouble. Well, I don't want to have trouble. Well, you'll have trouble, right? We live in a sinful world. But God has promised to do incredible things for us, not just here in the here and now. And he does that, doesn't he? I was sharing with some folks in, this week in counseling about journaling. And I pulled out some of my journals and I let them read some of my journals when I was, we were overseas and just what the Lord was doing. But then I, I kind of flipped through it and just read through. You know what? I just, I'm, I'm reminded of what the Lord, miraculous things he did for us daily. And that would be maybe something for you to do. Maybe if you're a believer and you, you just, you, you haven't seen the Lord's hand at work in your life. It's, you're going through a, a dry time or a time of uh, little faith. Maybe start journaling, writing down what the Lord is doing and asking Him for things. And you begin to, what happens, you begin to put those thoughts pen to paper and you begin to see little by little what the Lord is doing. I think it helps you see that better and helps you remember it, process it and think through it. But I was able to do that this week. And the Lord, I could see, remember what the Lord has done for me. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. 
Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.